and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore, a monthly podcast in which we aim to separate our ghouls from our goblins, our snotlings from our skaven storm fiends, and our bloodthirsters from our bloodletters, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer stuff? My name is Ben Chrome Barber, and I know fuck all about Warhammer. With me is my co-host, Christopher Crallen Allen. Ben's wearing a tank top again. <laughs> Who also knows fuck all about Warhammer. Very true. And my dear brother, Darren. Imagine not being able to afford sleeves. He <laughs> <laughs> knows so much about Warhammer, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. After gathering online to slay some vermin in the name of Sigmar, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. To address that ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, we're not over the tank top thing yet, then. Oh, mate, no. Own it. I'm just troubled that no one wanted to buy tickets to the gun show, so you're giving them away for free. <laughs> <laughs> this, this particular tank top, which has a... Would you like to tell the audience what it has on it? Skunk. Skunk. <laughs> it's either a skunk or a badger. We're yes, not Darren, sure. high five. But I arrived yesterday and I put it on. I walked into the living room and uh, my friends who I live with said to me, what the fuck are you doing wearing that? She was so offended. <laughs> like, so offended. <laughs> she was like, I just can't stand tag tops. <laughs> and as a punishment, you're not letting her move in. <laughs> yeah. As a punishment, I'm just going to keep wearing it now. <laughs> Hilarious. Gentlemen, I thought maybe it would be a good idea to um, just have a, a quick scan through our wee book of grudges and maybe pick out a couple of the highlights, say, two, two sure. highlights each from last episode. Chris, would you like to go first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, a couple. So, number one, a Darren for pulling our leg about Bretonia episode. I think he alluded to a, a Bretonia episode and, well, pulled our leg, apparently. So... <laughs> That's one on bitch. the grudge list there. Uh, another one. Oh, and Darren being a bitch as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For whatever reason. I feel like it's quite dar heavy. Darren, would you like to respond in kind? There's, ma- there's mainly dar grudges in my book, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Literally, the first two grudges I have... It's Kral for being Kral and Amy for enabling him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. I've, I've got, then got a couple with like Ben for being Lord Humblebrag. Uh, and, <laughs> and what then, did I humblebrag about? I don't know. Something you were late because you have a Tesla and it had problems charging. Or... <laughs> <laughs> I wish that was you the case. Smug like. cunt. <laughs> uh, and then obviously another one for Ben for not knowing why magic. And then apparently I wrote one against myself for being amused that you didn't know about why magic. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. A lot can happen in six weeks, can't it? I've got um, Games Workshop for Age of Sigmar. <laughs> oh yeah, I've got that as well for the um, turning dwarves into Dwarden. I think I think that's you told me, and then I wrote it down, and then my next grudge was me for copying Dar's grudge. <laughs> uh, okay, this well, is a legit you know. grudge though. Darren comparing dwarves with Skaven. I mean, yeah, I think that was out of line. Well, it depends on what Everyone. basis he was comparing them. What mm. was the comparison? I'm, I'm adding one in for Chris inventing fake grudges. <laughs> Oh, it's on. Here we go. go. The grudge snowball begins. Yeah, I've already got Ben down for tank top. 
<laughs> I think that's an ongoing thing. That's yeah. like that's a standard grudge. Yeah. You know what tank tops an anagram of? That's right, trying too hard. <laughs> uh, that was so much better than I thought you were going to say. It's like it's not an anagram of cunt. Please come on. <laughs> I seem to have wiped off some of the ink of the front of my book of grudges. Oh, that's These a are, grudge. That is a that's grudge. a grudge <laughs> against the dwarfs for not making them particularly well. Well, I think it's a self grudge because you can see there that it's smudged on my one as well. <laughs> or, right, okay. or it's moving really quickly. <laughs> I was in tears when Amy was trying to pronounce <laughs> the spelling of this. Kraus <laughs> Bonk Hoff Critchise. <laughs> close enough, Amy. Close enough. The explanation, uh, listeners, behind that is that the dwarfs, Thorgrim, tried to write the. Uh, book of grudges on the front of our three book of grudges in the Warven script and the o's look like h's the g's and the look, look like, like credices <laughs> yeah we, we get it though right. we get the gist yeah yeah you get it right dwarves. can we have some more dwarves 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 yeah i was about to say a thorgrim grudge bearer more like thorgrim shit scribe <laughs> oh! you've, almost, you've almost certainly gone in the book of grudges for that i mean his <laughs> book of grudges the book of grudges well it's the great book of grudges there are multiple grudges each hold has its own one. okay right is that true i thought that was just the definitive book of grudges no like, anyone can kind of escalate it's like the supreme court anyone right, can yeah, okay. escalate it right 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 crowd yow do you want to give us a uh, WhatsApp recap? Not really, but here it comes. Hold on to your butts. Should we get a jingle on the go for the WhatsApp recap? I feel like we should get a jingle. Yeah, fill your Yeah, boots. why not? Why not? Amazing. I think we should okay. for the Come next on. one. Okay, cool. So it was the debut Dwarfs, Dwarfs, Dwarfs episode. It was our first look at the glorious warriors of the Dwarven race. We took a look at what makes a dwarf great, which is their age. We followed this up with an examination of their clan structure, their guild, the types of dwarves out there, and what happens when you break one of their only three laws. Ben, the types of dwarves, how many are there, and who are they? The types of dwarves. Oh, Kral, I mean, re really you're asking two questions there. I am. And the answer to both of those is beyond me. <laughs> I, have, I have no idea. Just to get me started. Okay, well, there's five types of dwarves. Okay, happy, lumpy, yep. <laughs> grumpy, <laughs> horny, yep. and slightly randy. <laughs> Close enough. Darren, could you recap the five for us? Because Ben and I obviously have no idea. <laughs> you have an idea. It's written in the WhatsApp recap. <laughs> it's not. What's that oh, recap? Darren, okay. Darren was selfish enough not to itemize them. There are. Here we go. Firing from the hip. Regular dwarves. The regular dwarves of the Dwarven Kingdoms. The Norse dwarves. The Grey Dwarves, they, they, they are regular dwarves that live in the Grey Mountains. The Norse Dwarves live up in the, uh, just on the edge of the Sea of Claws, which is where the Chaos Wastes begin, well, above that. You have then the Chaos Dwarves, uh, which are off to the, which direction is that? Right? Left. Uh, Left. <laughs> no, right. East. And then you have East. the kind of refined Imperial Dwarves, which are dwarves whose holds have either been destroyed or abandoned, and they live in the Empire, honouring the 
alliance between dwarves and the Empire. Isn't it the dwarves that still live in the hole? They kind of see the imperial dwarves as those that have kind of given up on dwarf culture. Yes, or those that have been exiled. Well, maybe not exiled. They're still dwarves in good standing, but they're viewed as the kind of parochial Father Ted dwarves. Mm. <laughs> so you said you said the imperial dwarves, they, they live amongst other races because their holds and homes have become destroyed. Does that make them more refugees? There's a tinge of shame to it, but not enough to make them go full slayer. Cool. Well, those were your five dwarven types, Ben. Excellent. How did I do? Oh, a solid zero out of five. Solid zero out of five. Um, We also looked at the three most interesting subjective aspects of dwarven culture, the rune priest, the slayers, and their great book of annoyances. I mean, grudges. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and we also got our own book of grudges. Ta-da! Sorry. Book of Cryjusus. Cryjusus? Bonkhoff. We've got this great little green book. It's awesome. Why don't you just put a sticker over it so you know what it says? No. No, no, no. Hang on. I was saying you're going in the book now for talking about defacing the book. And that's a solid grudge. That is a solid yeah, grudge. In fact, I may even put myself in there and then put myself in again for copying your grudge. And then flagellate yourself. Yep. I'm also going to put my wife in this book for an unrelated incident. (laughs) (laughs) Unsatisfactory pegging session last night. (laughs) There is no such thing as an unsatisfactory pegging. (laughs) I put Vic in the book. That's my wife. And it's, I've just put in eye rolls and sighing. Was this more of your bad jokes? Uh, do you just mean my jokes? <laughs> <laughs> or was she was she eye rolling while pegging you? <laughs> no, I was eye rolling while she was pegging me. <laughs> oh dear! <laughs> right from pegging to small people. Uh, Darren, over to you. <laughs> no thanks, I'm not going near that one. <laughs> that, I mean, that's definitely the, the kind of realm of the tank top community. Okay, all right, let me restart. Let me rephrase. Would you like to give us an episode of content? <laughs> <laughs> okay, and now for our first video episode, hey Vic! Um <laughs> Oh dear. Let me show you what a chaos portal looks like. <laughs> oh Nailed no, it. that's that's gonna be a theme for today. Genuinely curious now, can either of you remember the three laws? Absolutely not. <laughs> Come on. It was treason, cowardice, and theft. Everything in dwarf life. Right, is judged yes. under those three headings. Yes, 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 yes. No, it's just in case anyone wondered what the three laws were. Go on. Cowardice, theft, and? Treason. Treason. Cowardice, theft, and treason. That's right. And we went through a bunch of crimes, didn't we? And, and Darren yeah. was able to boil them down to, to one of those three. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, for example, murder. Murder, murder. was murder. treason. Because you're Treason. denying the king a warrior, uh, or the mother right. of warriors, or, or, or. Okay. 
yeah, or the yeah, father yeah, of warriors. Yeah. Or you could be stealing a life from the hold or something like that, couldn't you? Yeah, so it's basically yeah, just okay. how you phrase it. it. It absolutely is. So like slander, if you're slandering someone's reputation, that's a theft of their reputation, a theft of yeah. their good name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, is theft, cowardice, or treason, are one of those three more severe than the others? Will one of those incur a more severe penalty than the other? Or are they treated equally? I think that cowardice carries more shame. Right. Culturally. I, I guess my question is, if I was to murder someone, or if I was just to slander someone, would I expect to be punished more severely for the murder, or would it be just as bad? It's an act of treason, so you, you would okay. be effectively betraying your king, and that's, you know, in these kind of medieval-style yeah, yeah, civilizations, yeah. That, that's right up there. Yeah, yeah, got it. Okay. As I said to Vic last night, um, <laughs> <laughs> is it in yet? <laughs> uh, you never ask that when it's the chaos portal, Chris. It's always in there. <laughs> <laughs> and funnily enough, it's green. Um, <laughs> so, yes, carrying on from the kind of general overview, as listeners will now be aware, we have a kind of rough template that we follow. We go for a general overview of the culture in the first episode, then we look at their history and how their cultures develop and the kind of notable events of a given culture. Uh, and then we round it out with uh, uh, an exploration of how the song with it, with the song <laughs> and how that uh, culture prepares to war and the kind of equipment they have. So we're now on our second episode of the dwarves and we are looking at the origins of the dwarves and the first few epochs of their culture, the kind of important defining moments that started. Amazing. Sweet. I have a question. Yes. What does epoch mean? Epoch is an enormous length of time. Right. It's not a Yorkshireman <laughs> discovering a pock. <laughs> epoch! <laughs> epoch! <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, now we've got to figure out what a pock is. Ben, how do you spell epoch? <laughs> what? How do you spell epoch? E-P-O-C-H. Yes. Yes. You thought you had me there. That's it. You're going in the book of grudges for trying to make me look stupid. Crow. I'm not trying to make you look stupid. I asked a question. Right. You're going in the book of grudges for being a twat. (laughs) I'm just writing that under the last grudge, which was Crow for all his damn questions. (laughs) Ben being a grudgy much grudge face. (laughs) Grudgy much grudge face. Ben making up grudges. That'll do. The origins of the dwarves is tied, as most things are in prehistoric Warhammer, to the old ones and their lizardy, froggy ways. The lore kind of conflicts, really. So we're looking at around about four, twelve to fourteen thousand years ago. So before recorded history, this is the mythic lore of the dwarves themselves. They believe they were either created by the old ones, so not enhanced, as we've discussed previously, the old ones enhanced the intelligence of some beings and created other beings wholesale. So the dwarves believe they were created. Now, in both versions, the dwarves are a created race rather than an augmented race or improved or evolved race. Both versions? Sorry, what do you mean both versions? I'm I'm about to tell you. Oh, I'll put myself in the book for that. Don't worry, Ben. (laughs) 
Oh, he's going to he's going he's going in the book on two books. Jesus, fuck it, I'll put you in I, as well. I deserve that. I deserve that premature premature questioning. <laughs> so yes, they are a created race in both versions of their kind of origin story. One is they were simply created by the old ones. The amphibious aliens got together a machine, probably like a gingerbread man style cookie cutter, and slammed it into <laughs> things, and bam, elves, dwarves what have you. Well, not elves, they were there already, but uh, dwarves. The dwarves themselves lean more towards that the the first generation of dwarves, some of whom became their gods, were carved out of stone and time. So they kind of eroded eroded into existence. (laughs) Sorry, I thought there was a a bit of silence there. You're waiting for a reaction. I was like, I better feel it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow. Uh, great sound effect. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for filling my silence. Um, <laughs> I got you, bro. <laughs> so where in both versions, where the dwarves geographically originated was in the Southlands, analogous to our Africa. So at the very bottom of the World's Edge Mountains. And they very much, if you if you can imagine, here we go. Uh, Buckle up. A cross between an angry hobbit and a caveman. So a cave a cave dwarf. It was a nice. race of cave dwarves. Oh, yeah. In the Southlands, and for an, an indeterminate amount of time, that's how they existed before the intellectual prowess of their gods began to come to the fore. So we're looking at three main gods out of this first batch of of dwarves. And we touched on them last episode. We'll go into them in a bit more detail as we go through this episode. Mr. Kral. Um, These primitive early dwarves, you describe them as if they were quite feral. Is that how they were? They were quite like bashing rocks with logs and ugh, zug, and things like that. Or were they just a bit dirty? I think there were very, I think there was an element of the old cave dwarf, savage, unthinking thing about them, but there was also this seed of intelligence, seed of godhood uh, within them. And so where our cultures develop over generations, theirs developed over years. So Mm, at the start, they were, I believe the young people say basic bitches, uh, and then they uh, evolved quickly into chads. Right. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so there was some element of evolution about their their origins, wasn't there? Because you said that in both stories, they were created rather than evolved, which I totally I understand what you mean. Like they didn't evolve from single-celled amoeba. Do you know what I mean? Like single-celled organisms. But there yeah. was, you know, from the point of their creation – there was some level of, of evolution to get to where they are in kind of modern day. Uh, yes. I think it happened in fits and start fits and starts, fits and spurts. I don't know what the correct term <laughs> fits is. And starts, fits yeah. and spurts. Name of my first porn tape. <laughs> <laughs> fits and spurts. That's how Vic refers to me. <laughs> it's like a comedy duo, you and Vic. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's a good point well made, Ben. I think that evolution in terms of cultural evolution, cultural development, happens within a generation. So right. before the first generation of dwarves had passed, they were already very much like up to Viking level technology. 
you know. Right. Okay. I, I don't know why I keep doing quotes. No fucker can see me other than you. So, <laughs> meh, meh. I will make that noise. Meh, meh, when I do quotes. Excellent. <laughs> so if you can imagine a lot of very short, sweaty Vikings in the jungle, that, that that's Go effectively on. what the I'd first generation. <laughs> Now, I've mentioned the gods there. We're looking at three main ones in this episode or or amongst the the kind of timelines in this episode. We're looking at Grungni, who is the god of miners, Valia, who is the healer, but also the brewer. She she invented not only Mm. agriculture, but also booze. The booze! And then we'll look at Grimnir, who is the kind of warrior, slayer god style dwarf. But pre a certain event, he was simply a warrior god. And we'll talk about that event today as well. So you had all these short Vikings milling around. What the hell's going to happen? They're looking to expand. And with that kind of idea of expansion, they follow kind of veins of minerals, veins of precious metals, gems, that uh, kind of idea. And they're led at that stage, mostly led by Grungni, the miner. So he's the one then who is beginning to instill upon them the concepts of mining, of refining, of forging. And as they move north up through the, the World's Edge Mountains, they're really beginning to express themselves artistically through blacksmithing. So you've got incredibly ornate armor, solid weapons, mostly of iron at that stage. They have yet to really discover or, or refine their own skills to generate steel and grommel, which is the Warhammer version of Mithril. So over hundreds of years, you have these dwarves moving north. Now, as they get to, they pass where the kingdom of the dead would be, where we would consider the Sahara Desert, if one might imagine that. And they come up to the kind of badlands and border princes. At this stage, they have what's called the War of the Dragons, where with the aid of Grimnir, Grungni, kits out all the dwarves in armor, gives them great weapons, and it's dwarf versus dragon combat. And Awesome. I'd love to see that as a celebrity death match. <laughs> well, if you can imagine, like, flocks of dragons. I don't know if that's the correct multiple term. <laughs> a flange of dragons, I think. It's a, it's a, a loveliness, I think it is. A flambe of dragons. <laughs> yes. Um, coming through the sky. <laughs> and dwarves you know, literally lobbing axes. Trying to jump at them. Yeah, jump at them. (laughs) And the dragons just start falling from the sky. They're they're exploding on the ground. There's huge battles, like swarms of dwarves, hordes of dwarves. A flange of dwarves. A flange of dwarves. (laughs) Are facing off against, you know, a barbecue of dragons. Um, (laughs) And it's it's really just... a churning, roiling battlefield. And in the end, the dwarves succeed. They decimate the dragon population of the old world. And the site of that battle, it was so cataclysmic that it destroyed the mountain range and created Blackfire Pass. Which oh, is that skyscraper. The skyscraper pass. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. Ben, just to uh, remind you, a skyscraper is like a wall on its side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. upturned wall. Yeah, I hate you, both. Mr. Chris. You had a question. The dwarves, the battles of the dragons. What weaponry were they using? I'm just trying to get an idea of because it sounded like it was still quite early on in the epoch dwarven timeline. 
Did yeah, they have like be, a shout like, like they have in Skyrim, where you can shout at the dragon and make it land? So you Oi, you! Get down here, you ruddy bloody bugger! <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I, I suspect you're from? looking at things like crossbows, bolt throwers, that kind of idea. So right, quite yeah. advanced weaponry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Not like bowlers the, or anything like that, not just like stone sticks and stones. They're quite, they've got quite <laughs> advanced weaponry. Got it, got it, got it. Again, this is pre-written dwarf history. So this is all, this is folklore, mythic history of the dwarves. You're looking at, you know, this is where Grimnir kind of begins to take leadership of the dwarves from Grungni. And Grimnir's son, is a, a dwarf called Morgrim, he is the kind of patron, the god of engineers. So it's around that time you start to see the evolution of more sophisticated war machines, of ranged war machines, and also the various engineering that's required for mining. You're also looking at runes. This is where runesmithing starts to come into the fore. But again, very basic entry-level stuff, not at all comparable to the kind of highly advanced weaponry and runes and magic use that the dwarves have in contemporary Warhammer. Sorry, I stopped because you both looked very pensive like you had questions. I'm absorbed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just wearing a tank top. (laughs) It takes a a lot of mental agility to wear a tank top. I'm just focusing. Because if I don't, any moment, this is just going to grow sleeves and everything will be there. (laughs) You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a tank top. Hello and welcome to Grudge for the Day. I'm your host, Sop with Grudgecaster. Today we have a lovely little grudge sent in by local blacksmith Odor Hammerflame. His message reads as follows. Dear Sopwith, I've recently added my son Grobin to our town's book of grudges. I was passing his bedroom a few days ago when I noticed it was immaculately clean. On further inspection of this never-seen-before phenomena, I spotted an envelope addressed to me propped up on his pillow. Fearing the worst, I opened it. Dear Dad, it read, It pains me greatly to have to tell you this, but I have had to elope with my new girlfriend Ingrid because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mum. We only met last week, but I'm completely in love with her, and I knew you wouldn't approve of her piercings, her slayer-style tattoos, or her trendy clothing straight from the Empire, or the fact that she's nearly 200 years older than me. But that's not all, Dad. She's pregnant. Ingrid said we'd be really happy at our family's commune on the outskirts of the World's Edge Mountains. Apparently, they have enough firewood to make it through the coming winter. We've already discussed having more children. She wants loads, of course, but I've convinced her to stick to a conservative 27. Also, Ingrid has completely opened my mind up to madcap mushrooms, and we plan to grow our own to share with other commune members in exchange for ale, and maybe cocaine. In the meantime, we'll be continuing our search for a cure to Ingrid's devastating and highly contagious genetic STD, We pray science will ease her suffering soon, as she really is a good person deep down. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 15. I know how to take care of myself. And one day I'll return so you can meet your many grandchildren. Till then, take care of yourself. 
Love your son, Grobin. P.S. None of the above is true. I'm over at Norrie's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the school report that's on the kitchen table. Send the runner when it's safe to come home. <laughs> well, dear Oda, that is quite the grudge. Can't even begin to imagine what that wee bugger will have to do to atone for that cracker. Thanks for listening, friends. Tune in again same time tomorrow when we'll be hearing from Magrug, who has a cheeky little grudge involving a badger and a prize-winning marrow. <laughs> Till then, keep on grudging. So, so prior to the Battle of Dragons, you have the dwarf race moving up north, moving through the World's Edge Mountains. And as they do so, they construct dwarven holds, the, you know, what would be a famous example, the Mines of Moria, that kind of idea where there's a, a, a dwarf city, town, settlement. And each one then begins to develop a clan identity. So as they move up, you're seeing affiliated families form into the structures of clans under the guidance of Valia, who is the dwarven god queen of, or goddess, I believe it's called, of a <laughs> kind of hearth and family and protection and beer. Because we all know those all go together and there's never been any mm-hmm. problems with combining any mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Swimmingly. So as they progress up, they become more warlike, as I've said, and Grimnir comes to the fore, especially when he slays the father of all dragons, which is referred to as the Urmskaladrak, is the, the name of this vast dragon that is axed to death. Choppy, choppy. I feel like that was named during the consumption of the beer. <laughs> I think it was named immediately after regurgitation of said beer. Uh, It's the sound you make when you stub your toe. (laughs) (laughs) So um, as these holds are founded, it's it's really Valia who is the leader. She takes the kind of idea of community, of family, and is creating these holds along the way to ensure that the influence of the dwarves is is solid. There's a solid foundation there, which is a concept that the dwarves hold very sacred. Hmm. They keep heading north. They go past the border princes, travel up the, the World's Edge Mountains all the way to the north. So they get to the very north of the World's Edge Mountains. And you see then that pickings become rather slim. There's not that much in the way of uh, ores or precious metals, but they still want to explore. So they split off at a kind of T-junction at the top. Heading east is the the dwarves that go across Zorn Uzkul, which is what is now the realm of the Chaos Dwarves. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they travel along that kind of plateau at the very top of the, the Darklands, They then head into the Mountains of Morn, where the Ogre Kingdoms now are, and then pass into history. There's not really that much lore or information about what happens for those dwarves that go beyond the the Mountains of Morn. Those dwarves that head west, however, they come across what we would consider angry Scandinavia, and they 
develop again holes but very kind of hidebound traditional holes that don't believe in any kind of progress beyond what is laid out by their ancestor gods so it's uh, very conservative yes i was literally about to say conservative dwarves and they become the norse dwarves yeah, I, I remember there was a um, bunch of human followers of a certain god that were really conservative, and their jam was to carry around like a massive wooden statue. And if there was anything that oh, they yeah. disagreed with, like fell out of line with their really old draconian beliefs, you get bopped on the head with this massive oak statue or idol or something. Is that right? Yes, that's absolutely right. And I can't remember his goddamn name. <laughs> I do. Well done, Crowl. But yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Man, my brain hurts now. I'm, I'm just going to lay down. I'm going to remove a grudge for you because you did so well there. I'm so impressed. <laughs> Thanks. I'm, I'm adding Ben being... <laughs> condescending. Condescending. Thank you, I'm going to cancel out Crowl tried to make me look stupid, but then I'm going to add one in for just being a general bollocks. <laughs> I'm going to balance that out with... Um, so, Dara, can I ask two questions? The dwarves that went off to the east, I know you said that they went through the area that is now known for where the Chaos Dwarves lived, and they also then passed into history. Are they linked to the origin story of the Chaos Dwarves, or is that a separate? Uh, yes, very very much so. There were a couple of dwarven holds in Zornoskull, which well, well, we'll cover that later on, but we'll yes, they, right, they okay. do have a, a key part to play in the rise of the Chaos Dwarves, yeah. Okay. And my other question was when you say they did all this traveling, they went up the world edge of mountains and branched off. When you say they traveled, are they are they mining as they go? I mean, are they they're burrowing essentially? Yes. What you have to remember is the world's edge mountains it very much like a giant aero bar. So they are connecting vast chasms of chocolatey goodness along the way <laughs> as they go up through the world's right. edge mountains. I think there were cases where they had to go overground, but it would be very, very briefly. Um, right. You know, if they couldn't get across a chasm, or they would go overground to get access to wood, other materials that would allow them to build bridges and then reinforce the wooden structures right. with stone and move forward. So it's, yes, very much kind of. Uh, if anyone has ever seen how bacteria grows in agar jelly, it's uh, it's fits and starts, or as I called it earlier, fits and spurts. Um, and you know, <laughs> each blossom of bacteria is a hold, and it's traveling up underneath yes, the um, right, okay underneath yeah. the Cadbury's World Edge Mountains. Yeah. <laughs> so so <laughs> so, what kind of timescale are we talking about going from the Southlands to... No one really knows. Well, certainly no one knows the first half of that northern migration. As Valia was setting up all these holes, as she got to where the border princes are, if our listeners will recall that the World's Edge Mountains comes down in a straight line north to south, but there is a spur of mountain that hits off in the west. And in that junction of that, that's where she grew tired of constantly moving. And so established a home for, or she expanded an already established hold. It was her kind of favorite place to live. And that is, in fact, the dwarven capital of Karazakarak. Ah, okay. Right. Not only did she found that hold as they were journeying north, but when she then took up settlement there as her home, that is when Dwarven recorded history starts. 
Interesting. And from beyond that, then you have further migration north and the kind of division at the top going right. east and west, respectively. So this is very much prehistories up to that point. Oh, yes. We are now at the start of dwarven recorded history. Amazing. Mm. Does anyone have questions? Uh, just wanted to, in terms of you know that, that that point in time, what else was happening elsewhere in the world? For example, if we look back at the, we've covered the Orcs and Skaven, during that time, just before the dwarves started their own recorded history, what was going on in Skaven land at the same time? What was going on in Orc land at the same time? Okay, well, in terms of Skaven, the Skaven simply didn't exist. Okay, yeah. This is yeah. thousands of years before the kind of events of the Doom of Khavzar play out. Um, Elves exist, but are mm. generally they don't exist in dwarven consciousness. They're not sure. They, they haven't met them yet. The Greenskins had existed in Warhammer before the dwarves came to sentience, and so they were constantly fighting. Obviously, as they move around, okay. anytime they go above ground, they are. You can't swing the forthcoming concept of a dead skaven for not hitting a greenskin. Um, <laughs> yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The biggest opposition the dwarves had at that time were the elements, the natural world, and mm. dragons. So it's very much yeah, this kind right. of mythic idea of, mm. you know, dwarves versus monsters. That'd be a good movie. I'd watch that. Yeah, yeah. Are dragons kind of seen as a like a prehistoric, you know, like our equivalent of dinosaurs in the Warhammer world? Because they... Um, were they? I'm assuming they were around for a while before the old ones turned up, or before. Yeah, it, very much up? the kind of the, the idea is that dragons ruled Warhammer. They ruled the world, and even though the dragons do still exist in contemporary Warhammer, they're a pale shadow of what they were. And more and more, they just sleep. Uh, and as we'll discover when we look at high elves, they have massive cave systems, particularly in uh, Kalidor which is a province in Ulthuan, and that's where most of the high elf dragons sleep, and it takes a significant event to wake them, and they're sluggish, even though they've got wings. That was a joke. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> Sticky. <laughs> the dragons have devolved in terms of mm, uh, right. their culture and power over the thousands of years as these other races have risen. You, you mentioned that the dragons have elaborate, long networks of tunnels under the earth. That's where they live and reside. Yeah, in general, dragons in Warhammer, they, they rest in caves. You know, They have their golden hordes. Yeah. That's hordes with a D. Got it. But the example I was given there is unique to the dragons that live amongst the high elves on Ulthuan. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I was going to comment was, it seemed like between Skaven and Dwarves and Dragons all living underground, is there anything left of the interior of the world of Warhammer, or is it just a big empty shell that's going to crack one day because <laughs> so many races and species have just been burrowing and tunnelling and it's really brittle now? It's a great question. I think we covered in Skaven, in the Skaven episodes, that there were areas of the old world where you would walk along and where last week there was a village, now there's just a gaping hole. You know, sinkholes are not perhaps as accidental in Warhammer as they would be in our world. Sure, yeah, yeah. Unless there are Skaven in the real world. Think about it. Think about it. <laughs> Think about it. Is that concept of a dragon quite Tolkien-esque? Is that where yes. they got the inspiration for it? Yes. Next question. Okay. <laughs> You're going in the book. You're going in the book. 
You called Gromnir and the other dudes gods, but as I recall, they're more ancestors. So these were living beings, weren't they? Which kind of faded yes. into myth and legend and therefore are more ancestral gods, ancestral ancestors than, than gods. Uh, yes, well, well said, it's, they, they very much huh? have the kind of same concept as Sigmar. They were once living beings who have achieved what we awesomeness. would recognize as godhood uh, through mm. awesomeness. Uh, obviously, they don't exist physically anymore, and only one manifests every now and then or continues to live. It's very unclear. And that is, okay. of course, the axe-wielding Casanova that is the White Dwarf. Excellent. That is Grom Brindle. In and out. In and out with an axe. I bet he wears a tank top. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, this is a good point to maybe expand on their, their roles in society. We'll, we'll look at the big three, as it were, the triumvirate, uh, Grongni, uh, Valia, and um, Grimnir. But they are part of a family. Valia is married to both Grongni and Grimnir. There are various offspring of all these relations. So you have Morgrim, who is the, the ancestor god of engineers, and he is Grimnir's son. You have Thungni, who is the ancestor of runesmiths, and that's Grungni's son. You've got Grombrindol, as we've mentioned, the white dwarf, a mysterious cultural hero and legendary figure who lays down both axe hits and the D, according to Ben. <laughs> and wears tank tops. <laughs> and wears tank tops. And then we've got the kind of, if you can imagine a, a subterranean race, to use Ben's word, troglodytic. Um, and <laughs> it really they, is my word. It really is your word. <laughs> that and dichotomy. Uh, <laughs> the troglodytic dichotomy that is dwarves. Um <laughs> That are dwarves, uh, but they have their own kind of afterlife, which is a, a subterranean realm even lower than the lowest of the dwarven holds. Uh, and if listeners will recall from last month's episode, dwarven holds are structured in a kind of reverse pyramid where leadership is at the lowest level within a, a dwarven settlement. And as you go close to the surface, your kind of impact on the culture is lesser. So they're kind of like heaven-esque spiritual realm is actually like deep, deep, deep in the ground. Yes, and it's it's called Gazul after the ancestor god who maintains it. Uh, does that spiritual realm actually exist, or is it like a, 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 a kind of a concept that they all adhere to? Do you know what I mean? That I, I, yeah, I think it's all. like a Valhalla-style idea, but that's my belief in the kind of lore of dwarven history it may actually exist who knows right 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 right. you said that the various offspring were from the two ancestor gods and they're Three. both yeah but they're both married both the dudes are married to the woman yes who is also their sister wow wow well this inbreeding oh. explains the perhaps the stunted growth of the dwarves then <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's pretty gross. Is, is that common amongst dwarfs to marry your sister and cousin and father and brother? I mean, if you if you suddenly gained sentience and discovered that you were made effectively by giant frogs, wouldn't you? <laughs> Fuck your sister. It'd be rude not to, really, wouldn't it, when you put it like that, Darren? Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, I can't take this anymore. Where's my sister? <laughs> right. So, in, in, are we accepting that in Warhammer World, the banjo was invented by the dwarves? Ding, 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 down, 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 down. Squeal, pick it. Squeal, dwarfy. <laughs> <sighs> Moving on. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we, do, we we touched on the uh, three main gods there of the pantheon. Obviously, not physically, they wouldn't let us because we're not dwarves ourselves, or related, or, <laughs> or related. <laughs> <laughs> I've now got an image of the Terence and Philip Uncle Fucker song uh, <laughs> in my, in my head. yeah. <laughs> So maybe the dwarf choir could sort that one out for us, Ben. I'll have a word. I'll have a word. <laughs> I'll have a word. So as we said, Grungni, Valia, and Grimnir. So Grungni is the god of mining, of forging, of metalwork, and of stonework. So Grungni is the one who made the most powerful and most iconic dwarven items. So for instance, like the throne of power that the dwarven high king is carried on. That was carved by Grungni himself. But he also taught the dwarves about the world under the surface. So how to travel through caverns and cross chasms and how to construct mines and how to reinforce uh, weak seams and that kind of idea. So really the technical expansion and evolution of the dwarven race was down to Grungni. He's worshipped by all dwarves, and as he was the first leader of the dwarven race, in terms of being a god, he's seen as a very traditional god. So uh, anyone who worships Grungni, either in their day-to-day life or as a cleric, has nothing to do with gunpowder weapons, has nothing to do with steam-powered contraptions. Ranged weapons are used but seen as dishonorable for the most part, although they are, you know, there are uses for them. So they don't get anything above a crossbow or a bolt thrower or a stone thrower. So very much get stuck in lots of miners, as in the profession, not the young ones. Uh, and then traditions that are valued within the Norse dwarves mm. and the northern holes of dwarves proper not not having sex with your siblings before you marry them that kind of thing but <laughs> i i would say yes but i think it, it's done as they marry them like literally as they're married in the middle of, of, of the matrimony ceremony just like well, yeah. what are you doing <laughs> wait five minutes guys jesus <laughs> how do you think the dwarfs would feel about jemima i think they'd well, they be worship very proud of, of a young yeah. dwarf making her name in the world yeah but the thing is that Jemima's mining. She's miming being a miner. She's like faking it. Well, I mean, that's how children learn. Children learn through copying their parents mm. or whatever mm-hmm. role model is around. There are sometimes I just can't tell whether you're being serious or not. You know, it was such a straight face when you said that. It was a serious no, I'm question. I'm just conscious. <laughs> and a serious answer. <laughs> I mean, the biggest problem I think they would have with her is her accent, because the only time she's ever spoken on the podcast, she's fucking Australian. What the hell's that about? <laughs> You're not oh. from around here, are you, Jemima? <laughs> <laughs> exactly how deep did you mine? 
But they came from the south, didn't they? That's you know, that's yeah. Australia. Well, but, but from the south of Africa. It, yeah, Jemima should have a South African accent. That was the best South African accent I could do. What Australian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> um. So the cult of Grungni, as it were, is kind of held in high regard by all dwarves, really venerated by the kind of northern dwarves. But they have really good relations with, if you recall, the old faith of the humans, the kind of northern elements, the kind of the naturalistic, oh, animistic yeah. gods of humanity. Califragilistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're a bit super calispasgilistic. Um, nice. Nice. Nice, Darren. Nailed it. That's a t-shirt. <laughs> if you can fit it on a t-shirt, it's happening. That's a, it's a tank top. <laughs> uh, but they also have very good relations with the halfling uh, religions, the halfling cults, mostly because halflings are fantastic cooks. Um, yeah, and so yeah. th- there's qu- quite a good exchange of, I suppose, exchange of recipes, good use for various dwarven ales, you know, marinated ox and all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine like a dwarf and a, and a halfling get together? Dwarf's like a uh, halfling gives him a lovely pie, and dwarf's like, oh, cheers, mate. Yeah, yeah. Let me give you something in return. Next time you want to chat your sister up, right? And half is like, oh, just. Just keep the pie, pal. All right. Just enjoy the pie. We'll call it quits. Okay. 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 Well, how about this rock bread? No, no, no. Seriously. Just keep the pie. (laughs) Just go away, dwarf. Uh, and and of course, as, as time progressed, the adherents of Grungni had very strong alliances with the worshippers of Sigmar in terms of, you know, mm. that fateful meeting and the kind of alliance that was forged out of that. Um, nice. Interesting, some of, some of the strictures, some of the, uh, the commandments that followers of Grungni have to follow, very much what you would expect them to be. So it's things like ensure that tunnels and chambers are structurally safe. Always repair an item or a structure if it looks like it's going to be unsafe. Don't waste any of Earth's mineral bounty that's provided. And also, interestingly, never refuse an opportunity to regain control of a hold that has been captured by an enemy race. So they are the ones, not not Grimnir, who's the warrior cult, but it's actually the mining cult, the traditional concepts of what it is to be a dwarf that drives the desire to reconquest or retake fallen dwarven settlements. That's interesting. They're a real responsible bunch, aren't they? Waste up, what not? Is it the Hindu gods? You've got the creator and the destroyer, and then you've got... Yeah, and the maintainer. And the maintainer. I always thought the maintainer one just sounded like a really dull role. It kind of sounds like that's what they do. The caretaker. Yes, the maintenance crew. The maintenance Mm. crew. We'll skirt past the fact that you've just insulted, you know, one sixth of the human race, and uh, <laughs> we'll draw a veil. Mate, that's that's me. That's what I do. <laughs> You're the maintainer. I'm the maintainer. <sighs> the blue man of many arms. So then we'll let let's sandwich Valia in a kind of dwarf sandwich, and we'll discuss her next. She is the 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 goddess of home and hearth but also of medicine or healing and brewing as we've said before it's an odd mix but there we are Uh, and she really is the one who 
is credited with creating the dwarven clan system, the kind of culture outside of mining and fighting. So Mm. the thing that dwarves hold dearest is their family, is their honor, their name, and that's all derived from the cultural template that Valia herself created. And as we said earlier on, she set up her favored home in Karazakarak, the great capital of Karazankor, which is the entirety of the dwarven realm. And in Karazakarak, that's where her largest temple is. And she's got two statues flanking the entrance to her temple. And you'll like this, Ben, because it encapsulates the word dichotomy. Get the fuck out of town. (laughs) On one side, she has this kind of matronly uh, visage. So she's she's got a a child in one arm and a huge flagon of ale in the other. (laughs) <laughs> responsible parenting <laughs> responsible parenting uh, and people wonder why dwarves in shows have scottish accents does she also have a fag hanging out of mouth as well <laughs> yeah <laughs> and she's wearing a man beer oh wait i think you'll fi- i think you'll find it's a pipe <laughs> and on the other side she's portrayed as a kind of warrior queen kind of xena warrior princess if she'd been in a lift accident um so she's got this you know helmet big axe shield seen as a kind of almost like the shield maiden concept from norse legends and interestingly that temple is protected by an elite guard of female dwarves referred to as the Valkyrie Guard, you know, so very much snatched straight out of our world, much like the Arthurian nonsense that we will cover when we get to Britonia. Again, great relations with the extended world, the halflings uh, and Sigmar, obviously tagged into, if people recall, the goddess Raya, who serves a similar purpose for the old faith of the humans, and then either distrusts or hates Every other race. While she is this, to dwarves, kind of matronly, protective figure, she's also incredibly xenophobic. (laughs) Really, really racist. (laughs) You can't say that, Valia. You can't say that. (laughs) So very much, much I'm going to use a phrase here, see if I I can get this right. Dwexit? (laughs) Dwarven Brexit? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, above all, she is a healer and a brewer, and those two are very much married, if we'll use that phrase, in mm. the dwarven mind, that being drunk is equated to being on the mend. Ooh, dangerous, <laughs> isn't it? That is self-medicated with hooch. She has her own cult, that's with an L, and... Um, <laughs> So they are all revolve around healing and brewing. So it's things like always provide aid to dwarves who are wounded or ailing, and then always provide aid to dwarf friends. So these are individuals, not necessarily races, but individuals who are recognized as being allies of the dwarves beyond the kind of general goodwill that the dwarves have between themselves and the kind of descendants of Sigmar. And then there's the notion of her as the protector, which is to always defend dwarves and dwarf friends from enemies, from the kind of recognized enemies of of the dwarves. 
But then the, the things like uh, never allow ale that has been spoiled to be sold, uh, never allow dwarven beer to fall into enemy hands, that kind of idea. Neatos. The final god is Grimnir, but we'll talk about him after we discuss the next kind of epoch-forming event for these dichotomous troglodytic races. There you go, Ben, that's for you. Nice, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we now find ourselves in the Warhammer world. The dwarven race has spread over the face of not only the Southlands, but up through into what will become the old world. They've spread off to the east and west at the top to gain as much influence and ores and build their culture up as defined not only by Grungni, the mining god, but also by uh, Valia, who is the kind of architect of their culture, of their hearth, of their family life, of clans. And it's all going swimmingly. It's all going great. No problems at all. Everything's happening fine. And then... Dun dun dun! <gasps> Boom! The polar gates collapse, and chaos <sighs> enters the world. Shit, the bed. There is just a prismatic storm of horror washes down. You see it in movies when an asteroid hits a kind of a, a, a circle, a constantly expanding circle from both north and south that comes up. It washes over the northern dwarf holes, up and down, covers the world. This then is followed by, really the best way to describe it would be a sandstorm, but it's warpstone dust just flows over the land. And then we end up with the evocative imagery of animals twisting, mutating into monsters, sentient beings becoming spawn, beast men either arrive or are created. And in literally in a day, the entire Warhammer world changes forever. Magical energy washes over the world, and it costs the dwarves dearly. Thankfully, due to the technical advances of Grungni and the protective magic of Valia, they work together to create runes, protective runes, which shield dwarven holes and fortresses from the worst of this mutating magical energy. It's still changes the face of the Warhammer world in terms of beings for forever. And the dwarves hunker down, as was played out when we were discussing the greenskins. The dwarves withdrew behind their magically enhanced gates and rode out the worst of the initial pulse of chaos energy. Mm -hmm. What was the dwarves' perception of the collapse of the polar gates? Did they associate that with the old ones, or were they like, "Oh, shit! Look what just happened!" All of that, all of a sudden, out of nowhere. Did they have an opinion, or did they even witness what actually happened? Were they aware that the polar gates were even a thing? I think that they were unaware that the polar gates were a thing. I think it was just suddenly one day they woke up and the world had turned to hell, you know, in, in some cases, literally. And that there was this new form of enchantment, of magic that was warping people. Everything was covered in this kind of black-green dust. And over time, you know, in a matter of weeks, months, perhaps even years, they gradually lost contact with other holes. Now, I hope everyone recalls that the main method of communication between dwarven holes is what's called runners, which are these sprinting dwarves. 
Just hold that image in your mind as they run through these caverns and waypoints, fortresses, holes to relay messages left, right, and center. So very much, if you can imagine, a pedestrian version of the kind of US postal service during the kind of cowboy era. Massive risk of Chinese whispers there. Like, shut the gates, this gnarly storm's coming our way. And then like by 10 times down the line, it's like, (laughs) purple monkey dishwasher. (laughs) But <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a good it's a good point. But I think we're we're skipping over. They had this thing called writing. Uh, ah. So they were <laughs> in your face, growl. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. Purple monkey dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you're going in the book because in Warhammer, it's Cathayan whispers. Ah. Well, you're going in the book for being a smug, smart, smarmy smart. bastard. Smarmy bastard. <laughs> and you're both going in the book for your petty squabbles. <laughs> petty squabbles was the name I used to dance under. <laughs> okay, run it by me one more time. We have to get this urgent delivery from here all the way to Karakungor in less than 10 days. Yep, that's the problem. And just how in Thorgrim's beard are we meant to do that? Dwarven Postal Express, at your service. Here at Dwarven Postal Express, we treat our deliveries like we treat our grudges. Far too seriously. With our team of experienced runners, the DPE guarantees to deliver your packages, grudges, runes and messages door to door in no time at all. Hello? Hello! I have an urgent tank top delivery for a Mr. B. Crone Barber! Thank Grungny. I thought I'd have to attend the annual tank top meeting out but my beard. Don't thank Grungny. Thank Dwarven Postal Express. Oh, right. You're going in the book for denying thanks to Grungny. Well, I'm putting you in the book for not thanking DPE for a fantastic service. What? You're putting me in the book? That's right. I'm putting you in the book. Well, I never. How dare you what put do you a mean, customer in the book? Put you in the book. Yes, I can't. Just just watch just me just put you in the book right now. Dwarven Postal Express. Be thankful I even arrived at all. So, in t- in terms of timeline, then we're looking at Valia established the kind of dwarven written record, or it's marked as starting from 8,000 years before present in Warhammer. And it's only 100 years from that establishing dwarven history, dwarven written history, and their cultural advancements, that the chaos portals collapsed. And so, gradually, you're looking at hold after hold falling into silence. Not all of them fell to chaos, not everyone was killed, but really, as with all kind of major conflicts, major cultural or racial conflicts, it drove innovation. It's now when we start seeing an increase in magical items and weapons forged by Grungni. We're starting to see true rune magic come to the fore. We're then looking at the also the kind of the mundane, the advances in mundane weaponry. This is where steel starts coming into the fore, because prior to that it was iron, now steel. And then Gromil, obviously, and the amalgams and alloys that they were able to make to create weapons that would not only kill 
the mutated creatures that are swamping over the world, but also demons. Valia then is using her hearth magic, if you can imagine, 12 foot high runes carved into the walls of fortresses and cities that stop the magical energies coming through. So while Grungni and Grimnir are, are definitely fighting off the physical dangers, the physical impacts of the collapse of the polar gates, Valia is dealing with the kind of existential and magical threat that this poses. Gotcha. And so this is where the dwarves start feeling the pressure that forges them into the rock-hard race that they later become. And this then is where Grimner then leads the dwarven race. And he sallies out with, you know, a pair of master crafted axes and just starts laying into demonic hordes and beastmen armies and starts clearing the mountains around each dwarf hold of all the threats. And followed then by engineers and miners who are trying to stabilize the underway but also the surrounding hills, so they still need access to all the kind of wood, that kind of idea. It is as Grimnir is going through this process of clearing, of protection, of of getting stability in and around the Dwarven realm, that's when they first meet the High Elves. This then is the first kind of meeting of Elves and Dwarves, where Grimnir was chasing a Beastmen army and bands of Chaos Warriors and Chaos Marauders all the way to the coastline. But as he makes it to the coast, he sees these kind of elegant sails on the horizon where the elven fleet under the leadership of uh, Kalidor Dragon Tamer, who, if listeners will remember, is the architect of the great vortex. Oh, uh, okay. They meet for the first time and, and they're kind of wary of each other. And it's this stereotypical relationship between elves and dwarves where one is arrogant, the other is gruff and Really, how do they talk to each other? Because they don't share the same experiences, even though they have the same language. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of like a shark and a lion. Can you imagine if those? Well, uh, a and cod I- reference that will be edited <laughs> out of this. <laughs> no, no. If you'd like to learn more about that, some context of that, listeners, subscribe to our Patreon campaign. Tier two listeners get exclusive access to the chunks of Dar episodes where we talk about the communication between lions and sharks or some weird thing that Ben brought up. Carry on. Yeah, and you thought Warhammer was fantasy. Um, uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Ben. I'll try and keep it to pegging. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so as these guys were kind of circling around, giving each other the weary eye, the kind of army that the dwarves were pursuing attacked and fell between the magical spear tips of the elves and the kind of axe-wielding shield wall of the dwarves. And it was very much that's how they became allies. Then they knew ultimately that they were on the same side in this conflict against the forces of chaos. It's now that the dwarves learn of the Phoenix King, of Anarion the Defender, the great tragic hero of the elven race, father, if we'll remember, of Malekith. Uh, mm. And their constant campaign to free Ulthuin from chaos and find the source of what's happening and what do they need to do? How do they fix it? How do they survive? In the discussion with the leaders of the dwarven race, and Grimnir in particular, they're able to work out that the dwarves are facing so much stiff competition along the length of the World's Edge Mountains 
that there wasn't only two chaos gates. There wasn't only two breaches into reality, one at each pole, the polar gates. There was, in fact, a third gate, that chaos, the hordes of chaos were coming through. What? And they were able to work out roughly where that was. And it was in a place that will later be called the Middle Mountains, which is in the north of the Empire. Um, this is new. You, you, you haven't news. mentioned this third gate before, have you, Darren? No, I was keeping it for this. Oh, oh my God. You sneaky bastard. I thought you might have been ashamed of it like a third nipple. <laughs> a nubbin. <laughs> the chaos nubbin. <laughs> the chaos nubbin. <laughs> <laughs> that's a t-shirt <laughs> the third door fuck sneaky the mystery third door yeah so coming to understand that this thing actually existed calador began to form his plan so it was really this meeting that triggered the concept of the great vortex or, or it was the ah. seed it planted the seed of the great vortex and obviously recognized it as a problem because they didn't have enough magical know-how or magical energy intrinsic within the high elves to be able to create the Great Vortex if there was a third waypoint for the forces of chaos to come in. Right, okay. So that's when Grimnir said he would take care of this. The dwarves would handle this chaos gate. <laughs> hold my beer and hold my baby. <laughs> <laughs> Hold my beer and my baby. <laughs> Hold my beer and my baby. <laughs> so returning to Karazakarak, the dwarves went into this deep, uh, what's it in Lord of the Rings, the Entmoot. They had a big meeting. A mass debate. A, ma a mass debate of dwarves. <laughs> Just quickly, I'm going to uh, say that the reason that uh, uh, Valia, that she's depicted holding a beer and a baby, was because of that. She was just caught in the moment by Grumnir passing his child and the beer to <laughs> yeah, Valia. Exactly, so yeah. I'm going to sort this shit out. And she was just kind of yeah. caught still and a shot. Like, a journalist was passing the window at the time and looked at exactly. the window and was like, holy shit, well, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scoop. <laughs> click, click, click. <laughs> Anyway, in this big uh, meeting of dwarven leadership of the kind of gods and the great leaders of the dwarves, it was felt that they should perhaps wait out a bit more or send a huge force to go and investigate to find this third gate and try and close it, allowing their allies, the high elves, to be able to create their vortex and thus drain the chaos from the world. But Grimnir was pissed off. He had just had enough. He didn't want to wait it was worth the risk, in his opinion, to go and just heedlessly attack it. Because if they could get rid of the only impediment to the plan to drain chaos magic from the world, that would allow them then to reassert their dominance over the World's Edge Mountains and to recontact the lost holes and to get in contact again with their, their brothers and sisters and all these different dwarven settlements. So one morning, he just packed up his shit and he fucked off out of Karazakarak. He was determined to go it alone. But his son, Morgrim, who we've mentioned earlier as the god of dwarven engineers, effectively used the dwarven phrase, which is, fuck that for a game of soldiers, I'm coming with you. Uh, and he brought <laughs> with him his nearest and dearest in terms of warriors, his band of heroes. The concept of the realm of chaos, as was mentioned previously, in present-day Warhammer, it's really up at the kind of Arctic Circle, the equivalent. Back then, 
it was halfway down the empire, halfway down what it would be. So these were dwarves marching into almost certain death. And it began as soon as they set foot in the empire, guided by their intuition and by strength of enemies that they were facing. They managed to identify where the gate was beneath the middle mountains in what will become Ostland in the empire. And as they got nearer, the resistance they faced got stronger. So they were on the right path. But one by one, the dwarves began to die in combat. And getting to the outskirts, the foothills of this mountain, they were attacked by a demon prince of corn, this enormous bellowing kind of bullheaded beast, you know, with an axe in each hand. And it utterly decimated the dwarven warband. Um, Was it Scarbrand? No, it was not Scarbrand. Oh. In fact, if you give me two seconds, I'll tell you who it was. I bet Grumnir was grateful for his son and his merry band of dwarven fools, like for all those meat shields. Like, you I wouldn't have got do that this shit on my own, own but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have massively <laughs> underestimated the resistance. <laughs> <laughs> that escalated quickly. Um, so he slew the demon prince Kraganomnath. Nanthal? Kraganom Nanthal. I'm telling you, man, they need easier names to pronounce, don't they? Yeah. It's like. (laughs) It strikes me, looking at it now, it strikes me very much as someone slapped a keyboard. (laughs) This this has got Jeff written all over it. (laughs) Yeah, he fell asleep (laughs) while while figuring out. (laughs) (laughs) So after this battle, there was not one unwounded dwarf in the warband, and Grimnir had enough. He said that was that. They healed up as best they could through their various magic items and uh, ungents, and Grimnir commanded that his son Morgrim was to return to the dwarves and to bring with him all of the dwarf warriors. Grimnir would now face the end alone. He handed Morgrim one of his two massive rune axes, and that rune axe then passed down into the dwarven high kings. And in present-day Warhammer, that axe, the very same axe, is wielded by Thorgrim Grudgebearer. So it's the axe of the high king, an axe that had been held by Grimnirim's Sorry, an axe that had been held by Grimnir himself. That was a belch. I wasn't choked with emotion. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a hell of an axe, bro. It's a hell of an axe. (laughs) So the last that was seen of Grimnir was this figure fading off into the distance. Now, it should be noted, because I forgot to mention it, that when Grimnir left the capital, he really had the idea that he wasn't coming back. This was a one-way ticket, and he was going to sell himself dearly to allow the dwarven race to survive. And guy. so what he did was he, he only brought his axes. He left everything else that he owned in the dwarven hold, and he shaved, except for his beard, he shaved his head so that there was this huge mohawk. Nice. And really... This is when he becomes the patron god of the Dwarven Slayers. Amazing. Now, if, if listeners will remember, these are the dwarves that have undergone some either punishment or shaming event. That means they have to seek a glorious death. Honor can only be restored with their death at the hands of a, a huge foe. But obviously, this is all before 
that kind of culture evolved within uh, the dwarven race. This was Grimnir? Grimnir, yes. Grimnir. So he set that standard. He was the yeah. original troll up troll, dwarf of shame, even though he had nothing to be shameful about. I think he's held up as the ideal of someone sacrificing themselves for a greater mm. good and seen as, you know, utterly focused on one event. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah. He walked off into the world and an amount of time passes and he comes to the middle mountains where this third chaos gate is and then nothing. There's no story, no uh, idea of what happened, what events took place, what battles were fought, but the great chaos vortex on Ulthuin was cast. It worked. The third chaos gate was obviously closed and the magical energy drained out of the world. Um, Ah. Of note at this point, as the Vortex came into being, all of the Dwarven ancestor gods disappeared. Every single one of them, from wherever they were geographically, vanished. Literally just... Literally just vanished. In front of people's eyes? Yes. Gone. Whoa. Wow. And as their influence is still felt... There must have been some form of ascension um, Ah, that occurred because their influence is still felt, prayers to them are still answered, this kind of idea. Could one theory be that the chaos vortex opened, they disappeared, and they had some sort of involvement with chaos themselves or something and got sucked into that vortex? And actually, that's the twist in the plot. Those dwarven ancestors were tinged by chaos enough to be sucked through the uh, chaos vortex. Or is that just bum wash? I think tangentially, yes. But if we replace the idea of chaos with the idea of uh, spirituality, if you, if you see okay. what I mean, they achieved a level of omniscience, uh, of uh, cultural importance, that voluntarily or involuntarily were able to bring that up then. They were able to uh, parlay that into uh, godhood, into kind of cultural godhood. Do you think is it is it at all possible that their disappearance and the, the kind of consequent ascension, uh, perhaps like a sacrifice that was required in order to close that third gate, in order to to somehow counteract the the energy of it? The short answer is yes. I think it's tied more to the vortex itself rather than the third gate. Right. Okay. Interestingly. The only kind of surviving thing from Grimnir's journey into the Middle Mountain was a merkin. Was his phone. <laughs> was it? Was his mohawk? Uh, it's uh, his, his pubic mohawk. Yes. <laughs> no, his axe. The other axe. It is believed right. that it's being wielded by Gotrick. Gotrick Gernonson, the famous dwarf slayer. Uh, it's believed that he wields Grimnir's axe, although it's never really been confirmed. There is a dwarven hold, or was a dwarven hold, built over the site of that chaos gate, and there there is a famous temple. I think it's the the hold of the first slayer or the keep of the first slayer which is guarded by, if one could imagine, even more angry Mohawk red-headed dwarves. And that is underneath 
if memory serves, you're going to love this. It's underneath the highest peak of the Middle Mountains, and that peak is called Nordberg. <laughs> That's so cool. From Police Squad. <laughs> Quick follow-up question on that whole Ascension thing. Were there, and I don't give away any other kind of future race stories, but were there any other instances of that kind of disappearance or Ascension as a result of the Vortex being started in other races? Uh, The only one I can think of is something we've touched on before is of Anarion, the first Phoenix King, Anarion the Defender. Mm. Because if you recall from the kind of tale, he had drawn the Glade of Cain from this right. uh, cursed temple on the, the Blighted Isle or the Isle of Blight north of Ulthuin. And after the big battle where the vortex was eventually cast, he was last seen flying north. And the blade was, in fact, returned to the temple, but he was never seen again. There was no sight of either him or his dragon. Right, okay. The kind of concept of folk hero becoming, uh, you know, a god or a demigod and ascending, that's Sigmar's story. Yes, right, right, right. Yeah. But again, this is all pre-Sigmar. So I suppose to round out this epoch, the dwarves began a period of rebuilding. Obviously, they have to recover from the loss of direct leadership from their ancestor gods, but they are then able to rebuild and expand their empire under, oh God, what's his name? Snorri Whitebeard, I think? Snorri Whitebeard? Yeah, was the first high king of the dwarves. Um, Wow. And so at the end of that, with the Great Vortex being cast, Everything begins to return to normal. However, there's still no contact with the dwarves in the north, specifically with the dwarves for Zorn Uzkul. They had been cut off for centuries by the chaotic energy of the incursion of the collapse of the polar gates. The Norse dwarves became fiercely insular, even against other dwarves, for an extended amount of time, for millennia. But really then, You're entering a period of rebuilding. There's alliances with the High Elves, specifically with Malekith. Malekith was seen as a great ally to the Dwarves and would come to their aid on many an occasion before his ultimate fall. That's because he's also incestuous, isn't he? (laughs) (laughs) Just always comes back to it, doesn't it? Always comes back to it. I can really relate to Malekith. I like the cut of your jib. You're a motherfucker? I'm a sister fucker. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> We've got so much to talk about. <laughs> Let's compare notes. So yeah, so for for the next 2,000 years, it was really seen as a golden age for the dwarves. They really were able to refine their culture with the kind of constant flow of magical energy into the world of Warhammer. Rune magic was now an established thing uh, under the guidance of their ancestor gods, advances in mining were progressed, engineering, uh, war machines especially began to be created, and ultimately this would lead to the various flame cannons and organ guns of the dwarven armies, ultimately into, in terms of contemporary Warhammer in recent centuries, the invention of aircraft, of the gyrocopter and the gyrobomber of the dwarven race, where the dwarves really would become a force to be reckoned with in the skies, unusually. Who knew, eh? All it took was the mysterious disappearance slash death of their brightest and greatest 
on mass and bam <laughs> dwarven golden age <laughs> bam <laughs> So with the close of the Age of Chaos in terms of the dwarves, we'll have a look at the one who may or may not have been responsible for the successful casting of the Great Vortex, which is Grimnir himself. A warrior god, a berserker god, the traditional idea of what a dwarven warrior is, up to and including the slayers. So seeing it as a force of martial excellence, Dwarves would offer prayers and sacrifices to Grimnir to give them great success in battle, but also they would follow his lead in terms of how to fight. You know, axes are favoured over everything else. So much like Grungni and Valia, he is seen as the ideal of what a dwarf could and should be in terms of martial excellence, in terms of tactics, but also in terms of pride and concepts of honor. They're all tied into Grimnir. The other side of the coin for him then is when he shaved his head, dyed orange, and headed off into the chaos wastes to save the world. It's seen as an honorable path when there is nothing else a dwarf can do about their situation and needs to regain some kind of honor or some kind of victory in their life, they may then enter into the Slayer cult. So they get rid of all of their possessions except for an axe and the kind of very ornate, I forgot what the actual name for them is, the torques, yes, the torques that go around their arms and necks. They're tattooed, they've got war paint on, and... They seek a glorious death. And the biggest temple for them currently within Warhammer, I think, is at Karakadron, where there's the Slayer King. If you'll recall from last month, there's a king who has to atone for the sins of an ancestor, but is unable to give up the responsibilities of being a king. Mm. So it, there seems to be a, a weird kind of balance mm. there. And again, friends popular with all other dwarf cults, even though he's very aggressive, they really, followers of Grungni, have almost nothing to do with any other culture. They are xenophobic, but not aggressively xenophobic. I suppose it's the difference between insular and being racist. Um, <laughs> although they do respect the kind of humans who follow Sigmar, both because of the debt of honor that is owed by the dwarves to Sigmar, but in general, you know, by the race in general. So they wouldn't necessarily kind of like shun another race openly, but they would possibly tell kind of racist jokes among friends. <laughs> yes. Some of their best friends are halflings. <laughs> 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 and in terms of their, the kind of, uh, the kind of ideas that they follow uh, uh, and manifest, you know, it's things like always press home and attack when ordered to by a superior, never give an inch of ground, you know, slay as many enemies as possible, but also always assist a fallen comrade in arms. Uh, it's phrased like that. So it means that can include dwarf friends, as long as that dwarf friend is then acting in the best interests of their dwarven allies. And interestingly, they're allowed to loot. They're allowed to keep anything they find on the battlefield, no matter how the battle resolves. Wow. So they're 
they're usually festooned with other things. Is that only is that only battlefield looting though? They're not allowed to like yeah, go only and, like... Ba- only battlefield. Yeah, it's seen as the price of combat, not necessarily right. the price okay. of victory. Chris, that sounds like your jam. You love looting. Oh mate, I, yeah, digging the dwarves and their looty ways. Can they loot from their fallen brethren and enemies so they could find their best buddies? axe or an orcish chopper anything and they at can all keep whatever yeah. they want. okay cool fair game as yeah. long as that person or being isn't alive anymore they can't just take it i'm having your shoes mate so like, no you're not having my fucking shoes i'm still wearing them <laughs> yeah that's just called stealing <laughs> bitch that's not looting <laughs> <laughs> right book of grudges stealing yeah. theft <laughs> I mean, yeah, the short answer is yes. Cool. But I yeah. think if a dwarf steals your shoes and they're head to toe in steel with an axe, are you really going to argue the point? No, but I'll write them a strongly worded grudge in my book of grudges, and that'll teach them, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if that does happen, I think you really have to question how it happened. Because if you can't outrun a dwarf laden in heavy armor who's trying to steal your shoes, then <laughs> you deserve you it. Probably buddy. deserve it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the only other thing I'd mention related to these instances is the fate of a specific hold which was built over the site of that third gate. It's called Karaz Gumzel. It is the only instance I can find in the lore of not only a dwarven hold being deliberately abandoned, but it's also sealed. So uh, very much like that John Carpenter movie. I think it's a John Carpenter movie. The Keep, where all the big stones are on the inside and all the small stones are on the outside. It, it, it's Everything is focused on keeping that hold closed. Uh, um, right, okay. I mean, I wouldn't have even considered building a settlement over a bloody cursed yeah. chaos entryway door <laughs> yeah. anyway. I mean, yeah, like, what were that's you a sitter, that is. <laughs> but one must keep in mind that it is a holy site for the dwarves. There is still a temple there. It's not in the hold. It's it's hold adjacent. And that's where the slayers pay homage to what they ah, assume okay. is the final yeah. resting place of the god Grimnir. Um, right. But not only was the hold abandoned, it's been struck from all the dwarven records across the whole of the dwarven empire. There's no written record of it. And... This is the most scandalous part of it. Ready? Each hold has its own book of grudges, and they feed, some can be escalated into the great book of grudges by the, held by the Dwarf King. The book of grudges for Kara's Gumzel was deliberately destroyed by the dwarves. <gasps> so let that sink in. That's going in the book what of grudges. Mu- That's going in my book. What, mu- what must have happened in that hold to cause a traditional hidebound race like the dwarves to try and eliminate it completely from their cultural history. Wow. Well, you know what they say? Whatever happens in Karagunzel Gunzel stays in Karagunzel. Huh? <laughs> 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 Quite literally. Did I pronounce that right? Of a choice. <laughs> yeah. You're going in the book of grudges there, Carl, for not making that statement earlier. Yeah, well, that was the right time. No, I'm putting you in the book. For <laughs> being wrong about that, actually, that was. And I'm putting time. you in the book for kissing his ass, Darren. <laughs> Darren, not understanding joke timings. <laughs> 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 uh, 
So anyway, that is our first dive into the history of the dwarves. How do you feel that compared to the first time we tried to do that for the greenskins? <laughs> Mate, like infinitely more engrossing and interesting <laughs> and rich with actual story and <laughs> yeah. yes, exponentially less disappointing. I think is the uh, <laughs> mm. yeah, that was cool, man. If you enjoyed that one, you're going to enjoy the next one even more because that's when we get into the War of the Beard. Oh, the great amazing. battle between the Heard dwarves so much and about the elves. It. Yeah, this is this sounds yeah. so petty. I can't yeah. wait. Yeah. So there's this like tenuous peace pact, tenuous alliance with the elves. They they're on the same side. They hate chaos and they want chaos to be gone, but they don't really like each other either. No, it's no. kind of suspicion based relationship, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Do you think it's arrogance on both sides? Is that is that the yes? They, you know, elves are always portrayed as quite arrogant and hubristic is that a yeah. word possibly i don't know but the dwarfs are not too dissimilar are they They're, they think mm. a lot stubborn. of themselves they're very in it's yeah, like stubborn. the immovable object and the unstoppable force isn't it yes <laughs> yeah very much yeah, so yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah like they're they're as bad as each other it's a recipe <laughs> for disaster really uh, as we will learn next episode we should really make them sit down and think about what they did mm-hmm. <laughs> Crow, which of the um, dwarven ancestor gods do you most relate to? Uh, it's got to be uh, parent of the year, Valia. <laughs> <laughs> Boozy McBabyface. <laughs> <laughs> what about you guys? I kind of like the idea of Gazul, the ancestor god of the dead. But just the idea that underneath the enormous cultural realm of dwarves there's another realm of dwarves that judge the living as being soft so uh, yeah you've still got heartbeat <laughs> nuggets <laughs> what well, so nuggets. is 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 the white dwarf grim no grimnir grimnir no grumly, Grom, no grombrindal grombrindal okay he's not an ancestor god He's viewed as an ancestor god, yes. Right. Because the idea with him is... Because you, you didn't mention him this episode, did you? I did, yeah. I just touched Briefly. on it, it, He's very much kind of Arthurian hero of the dwarves. So he appears when the dwarves need aid the most. You know, he'll appear, kill everyone, have sexy romance times, and then leave. <laughs> yeah. Um, just machine guns his number into the wall, leaves a little yeah. pack of like daily milks. <laughs> <laughs> White dwarf motherfuckers. <laughs> but he's he, he is believed to be the first high king, the Snorri Whitebeard, who himself ah. was the son of Grungni. He was the mortal son of the minor god. Right. Or okay. the god of miners. He may have achieved at the end of his life, he achieved ancestor godhood or a sigmary flavored demigodhood and is now a, a cultural hero that manifests in a time of need but he does actually manifest i mean he actually like comes you know he's there physically yeah he physically he is physically there yes that's so cool i like yeah, how they treat him, him like fine china he just comes out on special occasions <laughs> yeah <laughs> only when they've got guests over you want to put on a fine yeah. spread so you don't get ill spoken yeah. of in the village <laughs> Ooh, you've got the fancy cutlery out. <laughs> Quick. The Johnsons are coming over. The Johnsons. <laughs> Get the white dwarf out. 
stand him in the corner. <laughs> um, I guess I'm going to wrap up then. Yeah. Do it. Do it. All right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about the topics we've discussed in this podcast, you can find all the reference articles in the show notes or on our website at layingdownthelore.com. You can also reach us on our socials, and we've got lots of bonus material available via our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash layingdownthelore. We'll be back again next month displaying just how little Chris and I know. Until then, bye. Bye. Dwarfs, 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 dwarfs.